Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I think if I live a very long time and hopefully get a chance to see very many more uh, memorable Georgia seasons, I don't know, though, there'll be too many nights that just sort of hit me the way that Saturday did uh, for Georgia in beating Ole Miss. Obviously a great time to beat a top-10 team, 52-17. From a football standpoint, this couldn't have worked out any better for UGA, of course. We're obviously a football show. But the sense that I get is, is that for so many people – they felt very close to the way that I did that there were feelings involved here that are just so much more about than just the actual football itself and the go for three and 23 and the own the east and all the things that obviously George was trying to tangibly accomplish on Saturday so much of what happened during that game seemed to be so much bigger than that I was definitely feeling that way but the thing that you got to understand about me is I'm a little bit probably excessively sentimental sometimes and I get weirdly sentimental near the end of football seasons because I do love college football I love going to you know Georgia football games been going since I was a little kid got a chance to take my you know sort of still for now little kid son on Saturday my daughter didn't go son did my wife went and you know doing that for the last time between the hedges in this particular season that always brings up a certain level of sentimentality with me that's just kind of the way that it goes um senior night brings that out in me you know every year when it comes to seniors this year I say especially more so we're kind of a day and age which the Georgia senior class every year seems to be really really special that's kind of bringing some of that sentimental emotion out i was sitting next to my friend you know kaylee manzel and when uh, brock bauer scored uh, his touchdown first of all as someone who sits in the press box every single game you know big georgia fan uh normally i don't have too much of an issue with the idea that you can be a fan but when you're in the press box you have to be like the rest of the coastal elites buttoned up and professional you can't cheer I've never had more of a problem with that. Like, I almost just jumped out of my chair when Brock Bauer scored that touchdown on Saturday, something I don't normally am all that tempted to do. I'm usually pretty used to kind of being in the press box. On Saturday, though, when Bowers got the touchdown, and I promise you we're going to talk more about Bowers here a lot coming up in a moment. When he got his touchdown, I mean, I literally almost just jumped right up and just, you know, let out a big yell because it was just such a special thing. Kaylee Manziel, who was sitting beside me, said, why am I crying right now? And I, I just, just sort of felt kind of the same type of vibe. It was just extremely, extraordinarily emotional. And the cool thing is, as I said before, a lot of stuff sort of hits me that way because I just am kind of an emotional person, I guess, sentimental probably to a fault sometimes. But it also seems like other people had a very similar experience with that game on Saturday. There were so many former players coming back and there was so many special moments like in between the live action. And it seemed to like really hit Kirby Smart in sort of a big way there as well. And if you would say someone like me, sort of a sentimental old fool, you know, a little bit, you know, you know, silly about some of that kind of stuff. You don't really think of Kirby Smart necessarily being that way, right? I mean, Kirby's, you know, tougher guy than I am for sure, probably. Uh, and, you know, you sort of sort of think about him oftentimes being sort of the very typical football coach related to some of this kind of of stuff but uh but kirby himself was also i think really moved by the emotion we're actually going to play here for a couple of minutes a little bit more audio than we sometimes do to begin a show because i thought that kirby smart really struck all the right notes in his post-game press conference of describing on saturday what really was more than just a win and for like one night 
this didn't seem to be so much like about the go for three and 23 and moving up number one in the college football playoff rankings and getting ready to you know play Alabama again the SEC championship trust me we're going to get to all of that over the course of the week all of that is still a very relevant conversation this just sort of seemed like a moment to kind of pause and appreciate the era in which we're living through and who knows where it goes this year I mean honestly I think the uh, landscape right now for the national championship is actually really competitive I I think that Georgia has a great chance to win it and I also think other teams feel like they have a great chance there as well we're going to see some really interesting football coming up in the weeks and months to come and who knows how all that ends but Saturday was sort of a moment to just sort of look around and say do you believe this is our real life right now that this is the football team that we watched I cover we talk about these players who are back this is this is this is it this is what we're doing here right now we could have been born 50 years from now or 50 years ago and missed this but we're all you know kind of in our prime some people younger than me some people older than me but we're all kind of going through all of this right now at the same time and it's really pretty amazing and Kirby Smart seems to really get that too which I'm very happy to hear and the first thing that he talked about on Saturday was just kind of the emotion of saying goodbye to seniors obviously it means something to all of us but you better believe it especially means something to him because he knows these guys so intimately so to talk about why it was such a special night why there was so much emotion around the win Kirby Smart started with senior night on Saturday this is what Kirby had to say They've been special to me and got a little emotional tonight when I saw some of those guys running on the field during that time. I think it's a really hard night when you say bye and then you got to go out and compete and play. But a lot of respect for our seniors, a lot of respect for our fan base and to turn out and be electric and make a difference in the game. I mean, did you feel that if you were there? Did you notice that if you're watching on TV? It just felt different. Kirby Smart himself said, I'm super emotional about this. Fans are going crazy. And by the way, all the talk last week of, hey, no wine and cheese fans, rough and rowdy, be loud, call was answered. The, the, the atmosphere, the mood in the stadium was incredible. It was unbelievable. It was exactly what it was supposed to be. So Kirby says, hey, I'm kind of moved by that. I'm moved by senior night, what these seniors have meant to this program and how, 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 how much they have meant to me personally. And then you kind of go on to you know the idea that you've also got so many former players who are there as well. You saw Nolan Smith as the guest picker on ESPN's College Game Day. Jordan Davis was back. Uh, Stetson Bennett was back. We'll get more to Stetson in a moment. But so many of these former players are showing their love for UGA by being back and, and, and by cheering this team on and, and pumping these guys up, guys who are maybe role players or, or backups or just guys waiting in the wings when Georgia was winning its last two national championships. Now this is their team and their time to shine. And all of that is a part of the emotion of the moment there as well. Kirby Smart went into more detail on that about why so many people were just so moved by everything that happened in this Georgia win. Here's more of Kirby being very candid about all of that. Yeah, no doubt. It makes a presence. It makes more confidence. I mean, I'm looking over there at, at guys, and they're looking over there at those guys, and, and, and I'm teared up coming off the field. And Jordan's like, I'm crying too, Coach. Those are my babies. Those are my babies. <laughs> he helped raise a lot of those guys. So um, it's emotional. Um, so many sacrifices are made to make this program what it is. And, you know, our fans have been uh, really good to us and, and helped us at home. I mean, I'm just so glad to hear Kirby Smart saying this because at first I thought I was crazy, right? Because, like, I was like, 
you know, like almost moved to tears almost the entire day, right? It's like the last game in the press box. I remember going to that press box for the first time in 2004. What a big deal that was to me to kind of be invited, what I thought was sort of backstage, you know, for Georgia football at that particular time. Fans don't really care about where the media sits, but that's been kind of a big deal to me. And that was the last time in that press box. Georgia did a very nice thing. I, I'll, I'll bring this in at some point this week. Gave out coins to kind of commemorate that. I, I was really moved by that. Anytime I'm lucky enough to have my family there, I'm always really grateful for that. And so I'm sort of moved by that. I also, I just sort of miss Georgia to football when the offseason comes and you know to sort of soak up that final you know home game I moved by that and when the fans really did kind of respond exactly the way that Kirby had challenged them to which I knew they would but still when you're in an experience like that and if you're you know lucky enough to have been there I know you felt this way and if you weren't lucky enough to be there trust me when I tell you I wish you you know could have been there but but when you're just a part of all of that and like 93,000 plus kind of all moving as one all of that energy pointed in such a positive way towards the field and so many guys who've played for this program and and, and contribute to great success to this program choosing to come back and spend that Saturday night kind of being fans themselves like how can you not be moved by that I, I clearly was it was also you know Veterans Day weekend you had a great tribute by the Redcoat band you know during the half something they've done before but it still just sort of hits you in a in a very positive way when you experience you know that there again like how could you not be moved by that and it's one thing for someone like me kind of overly sentimental to say that but when Kirby Smart and Jordan Davis are like crying together uh, after the game's over with I and mean, that kind of gives you an idea there was something going on on Saturday they just sort of felt like something and it's just a really cool thing to be a part of and in fact you know Kirby went into kind of more detail here about the idea that right now this time at the University of Georgia is just a really big time to be a part of the UGA community frankly whether you graduated from Georgia or not it's just a cool time in the history of our state a cool time in the sort of history of of this university and you know Kirby Smart was in a little bit of a reflective mood about some of that on Saturday here's more from Kirby on that incredible university uh you know, I think President Mormon just told me we're one of the only SEC schools to have a Rhodes Scholar this year. I mean, we're winning in, in academics. We're winning in football. We're winning in soccer. We're winning in a lot of sports. Josh Brooks and his staff do an incredible job. Uh, I'm fortunate to be uh, part of an unbelievable organization in a great state where football is important. High school state playoffs are going on right now. There's tons of good players all over our state. And, you know, people care about football in the state. So these seniors, uh, I, I just – They've done, they've done it the hard way. You know, they've done it the hard way. They've earned it and uh, got a lot of respect, man. You don't realize what they sacrifice with the way we practice. Yeah, I mean, I just think and you kind of hear Kirby. He's kind of all over the place. I don't mean that in a bad way, but I, it just he's just sort of like kind of just sort of spitballing about everything that's in his mind right now. We practice so hard. These seniors endure all of that. You know, it's a fun time for the state because I, I love high school football too. And you have these great games on Friday, kind of rolling into a college game on Saturday. We're kind of, I think that November's about the best time of year, right? You're kind of moving into the holiday time of year, but you've got the high school season that wraps up before you get there. And y'all know how much I love that. Georgia's playing its biggest games here right now. And Kirby's just sort of spitballing about all of this. Gosh, you know, uh, the great success that the university's enjoying, the fact you got other teams like the, the, the the soccer team you know making a big move in the NCAA tournament which is uh, kind of a, a cool new thing seems to be a lot of energy around Mike White right now and you know Wes Johnson the baseball coach there's there's just it's just sort of a good fun time to be around UGA and Smart's just sort of like just sort of riffing on all of that at one time there which just sort of gives you a feeling it was 
just sort of an amazing thing. And then obviously the, the football was dominant. You know, it's a top 10 team. Georgia just absolutely just blast them. Was 52 to 17 is the final. Uh, gave up a couple of touchdowns early. But Georgia, the offense is just racking up 600 yards, 50 some points. You know, Jamon Dumas Johnson's not able to play. But, you know, C.J. Allen steps up in a big way and uh, certainly has the look of a future star. We're kind of back at that time of year. You know, a year ago, it's a guy like Javon Bullard, who's an MVP level player for you in so many like postseason type moments and now we're back at the most crucial games again for Georgia and right on time Javon Bullard gets a massive interception near the end of the first half that kind of ended any chance Ole Miss was going to have to sort of establish enough momentum to stay competitive in this football game is your Stackhouse for a second week in a row is making a huge play last week is the interception you know this week it's the uh, it, it's the sack and it's just like all this good stuff for Georgia is happening on the way to a dominant win against a recognizable face in Lane Kiffin and a highly ranked opponent in Ole Miss. And Georgia goes on to win now its 27th straight game, like putting smart in the conversation of the Nick Sabans and the and the Bear Bryants in terms of the long winning streak that Georgia's currently on right now. And Kirby was also happy to reflect on some of that on Saturday there as well, that the run that Georgia is on right now, very few in the history of college football have ever had it better than Georgia has it right now. Kirby also talked about that. Rare air. I mean, those guys are uh, guys I grew up watching as a little kid, you know, growing up in Alabama with, with my dad being a high school coach. Um, and, you know, it, a lot of the credit goes to the people that have come to this university and played, the players who've made those sacrifices, the players who've helped win those games. I mean, I'm in the locker room today and I was looking at Nolan Smith, Jordan Davis, uh, Miko, uh, uh, Malik Herring, I mean, Brian Herring, I mean, it's just all these guys that made sacrifices to do this and make it special. And, uh, and I've had incredible coaching staffs. So great coaches make head coaches look smart. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to be that good, whether you're a coach, whether you're a player. The the success that George is enjoying, you don't get there without tremendous sacrifice. And, and Smart is right to talk about that as much as he does. And it sort of fits the sort of reflective mood of, gosh, can you believe this team's won 27 straight games? And the hope is that streak keeps going and going and going. The hope is you go for three and 23 as well. And obviously, we believe that's what George is going to do. But it's also appropriate. And senior night sort of felt like the right time to do that. So many friendly and familiar faces back on campus the right time to do that just sort of pause and say man this is this is really pretty neat and pretty special and these are lifelong memories that are being forged for the guys on the field or those of us sitting in the stands these are things we'll be remembering for the rest of our lives here it's all playing out in front of us and I think one of the things that sort of made all of that so real for me on Saturday was so I know the commercial timeouts kind of get long and if you weren't in the stadium perhaps you're not as aware of this but like every time they would go to break in between the action, they're like trotting out like some all-time great and bringing him back. I mean, I saw David Green, the former Georgia quarterback, for the game. So great to catch up with David for a, for a quick second. And there was the great photo at one point in time, I believe Aaron Murray shared it, of Murray and Green and Shockley uh, and Stetson Bennett all together, these very successful Georgia quarterbacks. But it just sort of seemed like every moment it's like oh there's Nolan Smith you know here's you know Brian Harmon the the British Open champion was on hand there and then there was obviously two very special moments where Stetson Bennett who obviously so many of us have sort of you know sent so many prayers in the direction of he seemed to be doing great he was honored as the uh as the Burlesworth uh uh you know recipient for the top walk-on in college ball a year ago Mark Richt was there in celebration of the fact that Coach Rick's about to go in the College Ball Hall of Fame and there's these like 
thunderous of ovations for these guys and it was just like every commercial time out they're like bringing back like some all-time great and there's this huge you know eruption that takes place and you know once again you know kirby smart talked about that and it's kind of funny the way that smart says it all of a sudden all of this sort of putting pressure on georgia hey on a night like this you got to make sure you take care of business here because everybody's having a really good time and we don't want that spoiled by you know some sort of loss here once again kirby smart very good in reflecting back on all of that uh, I didn't get to see Stetson. I mean, I, I looked on the video board and saw him. I saw Coach Rick. What a great honor. And I was like, golly, man, we can't mess this game up with all these dudes here. I mean, it was a tight ball game. And I'm looking up there, like, going through all my whole past of working for Coach Rick, honoring Coach Rick, College Football Hall of Fame, his wife, what they've meant to this community, what they meant to me, um, gave me a job when I didn't, didn't have one, and just incredible people, just unbelievable people. And then see Stetson. You know, and I've, I've seen Stetson a couple times around, but I hadn't, I hadn't really got to spend time with him. It's just so consumed. So, yeah, I mean, it was that kind of night to see Bennett, to see Coach Rick and the great ovations they got all contributing to the huge level of energy created by Georgia fans from the word go. The team obviously fed on that. And Georgia's had a lot of really special wins here over the course of the last 27 straight. But I don't know that any uh perhaps felt more fun that's just the right word it was it was fun it was enjoyable it, you felt more connected to the people around you it was just an incredible incredible experience and a great chance for all of us to say thank you thank you to coach smart for being the architect of all of this thank you to the players past and present who've contributed to all of this obviously anticipating what's going to happen next and excited about all the big games yet to come but sometimes it's appropriate to sort of pause and reflect and Saturday night, I was very thankful to have been where I was, very thankful for the people I got to share it with, and just really, really, really uh, excited about the uh, idea that this is the moment that we're all living through here right now. A terrific team on a terrific run and a whole lot of fun on Saturday night. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented today by Pella, window and door of Georgia, and we are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today. 945, first and 15, dognation.com, and on the Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that across all video platforms. Uh, uh, you know, we're on the radio on Athens Sports Radio 960 Ref. We're available as a podcast wherever you find them there as well. Just however you connect with our show, we are just so grateful for you doing that today. We're obviously in a great mood today after a huge win. For Georgia on Saturday against Ole Miss and really excited about what comes next but also really excited about great sponsors who make stuff like this possible for us on a daily basis such as our friends at Pella window and door of Georgia today you know it's our final time to be at home for Georgia this past Saturday but obviously when you think about being at home and cozy and comfortable at home that's one of the things that Pella window and door of Georgia can do for you on a regular basis because those energy efficient windows and doors that superior product that they're famous for makes your home feel better on the inside look better on the outside uh, that is what they are all about so if you want to be a good homeowner and a great neighbor to those in your community taking the best care of your home is obviously the best way to do that and there's no better way to show the love and care your home deserves than uh, equipping it with the kind of energy efficient windows and doors that Pella is famous for now you've heard us talk about this now for a long time and so the obvious next step for you is to reach out and contact one of those Pella experts and let them describe to you the entire product line here Uh, your installation options if necessary your financing options and you can do this in a lot of different ways you can go by and see them in their experience center right there in Duluth I love that because it's kind of a cool building and it's a really great way to kind of put your hands on the product sort of recognize why is it better why is it different why is this going to you know perhaps you know save me money on my energy bills or perhaps one day you know increase my resale value you know why does this kind of 
work that way. And the folks at Pelican kind of explain that to you. And sometimes seeing the product with your own eyes in that experience center in there in Duluth makes that a little bit easier to understand. But beyond that, if you would rather have them come to you, they're more than happy to do that. If you'd rather connect and meet virtually, they're also able to do that with you there as well. Just do this. Give them a call. 678-638-1429. That's the phone number. 678-638-1429. You can also find them online. PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. I appreciate using that website. PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. I just want you to do me a favor. Tell them that I said they would take good care of you because I've been recommending heartily and uh, easily and enthusiastically. I've been recommending Pella Window and Door for a long time, and I do truly believe that for your home, it's the best thing to make it feel as good as it can, to look as good as it can. The great next step for you is equipping that house with Pella Windows, Pella Doors. So please find them online, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation, or give them a call, 678-638-1429. By the way, how about great savings here now as well because between now and November 20th, 25th, 10% off your entire project, no payments or no payments, no interest for 12 months, plus an additional $500 off your project there as well. So a couple of great uh, saving options for you right now there as well. So check them out today. All right, we're going to get John Stinchcomb coming up in just a moment. Prior to that, though, I want to get ready to go around the doghouse and I want to talk more about the big moment from Saturday that was the return of Brock Bowers. And obviously, Bowers is amazing and you know I think the chatter had been okay well Bowers gonna dress out Bowers may play some and I was sort of content to leave it at that the idea of hey sort of a token appearance in his what is we believe going to be his final home game that ceremoniously or ceremonially <laughs> ceremonial is the right way to say that sort of a sort of ceremonial standpoint he's got the uniform on he can be appreciated but not ready yet to see Bowers be like a huge contributor as of yeah that's going to come later on try to sort of short sell this as a way of just not quite get you know too much in the way of expectations here but obviously Brock Bowers just massively exceeds our expectations over and over and over again. And this is the latest example of that. And I think sometimes when people wonder, like, you know, what is the job of the media? What's the media supposed to do? And this is one of the things that I think the sports media hopefully can do well. It's when history is playing out in front of our eyes, we need to properly articulate that. We need to properly amplify that. There's always going to be a good team. There's always going to be good players. There's always going to be moments in a season that matter. But there are some things that kind of com- that sort of matter more than others. And there are some players that sort of transcend the normal. And Bowers is obviously that. You know, Brock Bowers is one of the two, three, four greatest players in the history of this program. He is one of the best players in the recent history of college football. We've tried to amplify that well here over the course of the last couple of years. That you know, shows like this, perhaps at times given to hype. I think that hype can be fun, but there are some players that sort of defy all attempt at hyping them because they just keep getting better and keep reminding you that no matter what your ability might be to describe things, their ability to be better than your description, they're just going to meet that moment each and every time. And Brock Bowers is one of those guys. Obviously, he did catch a touchdown on Saturday proved himself to almost be superhuman in his ability to recover from the ankle injury that he suffered in the Vanderbilt game, the tightrope surgery that he uh, went through, the most successful tightrope since the Flying Walendas, perhaps. And it's just an amazing thing to see Bowers back doing what he did as quickly as he did. Kirby, as you would imagine, talked a lot about that on Saturday, starting with this on what Kirby kind of expected to see from Brock tonight and what his sort of anticipation was for Bowers in his return. This is Kirby on that. 
I didn't have an expectation for Brock. I thought uh, Brock would do what he could, and uh, Brock was hell bent to to get back out there. And um, you know, I knew. I don't remember when it was. I can't remember the exact time, so don't quote me on it. But I was watching film of practice, and there was a red blur back behind the film of the play I was watching. It was about 20 yards behind it, and it looked like a guy flying across the field. And I was like, "Who is that?" And I was like, "Oh my God, it's Brock!" And uh, I knew we had a chance then. And um, he just—he was different. He—he—he he, he, he took a path that no one takes on that injury, and just said, "This is what I'm doing." A lot of comparisons between Brock Bowers and a superhero. That's actually a really good superhero name. The bread, the red, bur- was the red blur. You know, mild mannered Brock Bowers by day, the red blur by night. You know, I sort of feel like that's a kind of a good thing uh, there for Bowers. And a great story from Kirby about exactly what Brock has done to sort of be back in the moment that he is there. And in terms of you know the idea that 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 you know Kirby did believe it was at least conceivable that he could do this. And uh, now getting a chance to sort of see that with his own eyes, Kirby on Bowers again. It was a belief that, that he could do it. He would have to do something special. And uh, remember the day after it happened, uh, his mother and, and father called, and uh, they wanted to be aggressive with it, and uh, they wanted to treat it. And uh, one of the best things for it is to get back on it and get it moving, not let it stiffen up. And you know, we had had experience with other guys that it had taken longer, and he took a really aggressive approach to it and uh, he's, he's different i think you take two things from what smart's saying there thing number one is this this isn't being done recklessly this isn't one of those things of like oh gosh we just need you so bad that we're going to throw caution to the wind and just get you back out there somehow some way no clearly a lot of thought and care was put into this in terms of you know what really is good in a situation like this and what is kind of an acceptable timeline in a situation like this you clearly hear that from kirby smart but the other thing you hear here is that Bauer's parents, you know, kind of part of Team Brock there, so to speak, you know, they want to be aggressive about that. You know, they want to, hey, we want to show how well Brock can recover from this. We want to be as aggressive as we possibly can be playing again as quickly as possible, which is obviously not the tack that everyone would take in a situation like that. And that also came up with Kirby a little bit on Saturday. You know, this notion that, you know, maybe there are some that thought, that Bowers would be better off not playing again, packing it in and getting ready for the NFL draft, staying safe and staying cautious. And Smart's message to them, Bowers' message apparently to them, could not be more clear, totally unmistakable. These are strong words from Kirby on Bowers from Saturday night. Uh, Take a listen one more here on Kirby speaking about Bowers' return and those who perhaps said that he shouldn't do it. Well, people called him and told him that, and and those people will not be representing him, I can promise you that, because all I did was piss him off. And he said, God, I have I had people call and, and tell me that I shouldn't play, coach. And he said, that just drives me crazy. He wants me to play, wants me, makes me want to play more to prove them wrong. He said, why am I in this game if I'm not going to come back and play? I mean, there, there, he's, not, he's not risking millions, guys. He's, he's, he's has an opportunity to get more millions. Like, it's the other way. It's not the way because he's a great player. The NFL knows people heal. Like, they heal from that injury. They've had tons of that same injury in the NFL. So all he did was go out and stamp himself as a, a warrior that said, I'm going to go out here and practice on Tuesday in front of 15 scouts. Then I'm going to practice on Wednesday in front of 12 scouts, and they're all going to be over going, oh, my God. And he's got an opportunity to move up because of who he is. Stamping himself as a warrior. 
is such a great phrase. And that's what Kirby says to uh, mention Brock Bowers there. And I believe that everything that Kirby says is 100% true. This isn't just about protecting what you have. It's also about demonstrating what you can be. And to any NFL team who perhaps is going to make a decision to draft Bowers in the top five, I believe they should. Um, I just believe Bowers is that special of a talent. You know, Bowers, I think, has demonstrated himself to be more than just a good player in a year, something there always is. That Bowers perhaps is in a special category. And coming back the way that he has, I think, certainly speaks to the special nature of him as a player. But beyond that, and this is important, and after this, we're going to bring on John Stinchcomb. Beyond that, it also speaks to something that's special about Georgia as a team. Because while Bowers has his own NFL future to, to think about here, you don't come back to this team unless you believe this team's got something special going for it there, too. So the whole idea of go for three and 23 and playing Alabama again, coming up in the SEC championship, all of that that's at stake here. Bowers not only is just wired different that he wants to compete, but he believes that the guys he's competing alongside, they want to do that too. And they all want this to go on as long as it possibly can. If you're a Georgia fan, I think you take that to be a very good thing. And that is around the doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily here today. Now, before we bring on John Stenchcomb, let me also do a quick shout out here there as well. That coming up on Saturday, many of you know this, big day for Dog Nation. It is Dog Nation Invasion on the Tennessee River. And we are so excited about all of that. And we cannot wait to enjoy with those of you who are lucky enough to be there, we can't wait to enjoy this with you and can't wait to celebrate on the East and all the cool stuff going on with UGA right there on the Tennessee River. This is unlike anything that Dog Nation's ever done. And I want to personally thank our friends at RS Andrews, of course, Dari, good uh, friend of ours here and someone who's been great for us over the years. RS Andrews, you know, they will be a big part of this. Our friends at Kroger, big part of this there as well. The folks at the Dog Cave as well. I'm going to be telling you a lot about the Dog Cave here coming up in the weeks to come. You're going to love hearing about what they've got going on here. Great sponsors who've made this all possible. RS Andrews, Kroger, and the Dog Cave. Big, big thanks. Can't wait to see you all on the Tennessee River on Saturday as Georgia goes up to Neyland Stadium with the hopes of a 28th straight win on its mind. Dog Nation invasion on the Tennessee River coming up on Saturday. Big thanks to R.S. Andrews Kroger and the Dog Cave for making it all possible. All right, so we're running a little bit late here. Let me see if I can pick up the pace here and bring on our good friend, the great former George All-American. You know how much he enjoyed everything that was seen there on Saturday. How about a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with John Stinchcomb here today? From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So much to talk to John Stinchcomb about here as a part of the Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with a uh, Georgia win that was against Ole Miss on Saturday. But, John, if you don't mind, let's begin where I just was uh, discussing the return of Brock Bowers here. It even exceeded my expectations for Brock. And at this point in time, I've about decided he can do anything. But even with that, as my you know own backdrop here, you know Brock goes out and surprised me yet once again. I mean, what does it say about him as a player, perhaps Georgia as a team, that this is the level of dedication that he wants to show right now to be back, um, you know, on the football field in a game that his team probably could have won without him, and yet he still wanted to be there because that's how insatiable his appetite for competition seems to be. Boy, it's it's a great thing to see with your own eyes, is it not? Absolutely incredible. I think it's a testament to who he is, and you're talking about the character makeup. When he first goes down, you're going, there's a lot of guys that would say, uh, I'm, I'm moving on. I'm, I'm getting ready for the NFL draft, and I don't want to hurt my stock with further injuries and all, all the other excuses and reasons to why 
you know, you can explain away, I don't want to play anymore for, for Georgia. And Brock's a guy that he proved, I want nothing more than my team to be able to rely on me and, and fought his way back quicker than most folks would even think possible um, in, in a game that, you know, even when it was pretty clear what was it, in hand and at hand, he was still – he took more reps than almost anybody out there. Yeah. So uh, a real testament to the, the character that he has, the commitment he's made to his team, and um, I think just a, another feather in the cap for someone who continues to identify as one of the truly special talents that Georgia's ever possessed. Yeah, and I love the way you say that because we're in a day and age in which there are so many very good and special players who've come through Georgia football. Are those guys were back in you know in attendance on Saturday, and because you've got such a large ensemble of greatness, so to speak, it can be difficult to give anybody the individual attention they deserve. And I think that Bauer sometimes perhaps suffered from that because, you know, John, I think it's been perhaps for some a little slow to realize that this is one of the greatest players in this program's history and from an individual standpoint if you had to pick the one guy who i believe individually the best during this championship run which i hope continues again here this year you know i believe you know brock's that guy you know we said back during the winter that there was a mount rushmore of georgia football bowers was already on it after just two seasons and he's only added to that legacy here during his third you know i, I think that you know shows like this we're always going to brag on whoever the best georgia players are that's just sort of what we do but there is also a special category and Bowers is in a special category and I think for me the fun thing about this year has been is that for everyone now there's no denying it it's total acceptance the fact that this isn't just this year's version of a really good player no this is someone that the history books will have recorded you know you know tales for and accolades for for many decades to come yeah he's continued to put together a a resume a body of work that distinguishes him among some truly elite talent that georgia has seen through over throughout the years and uh, there's been really good players on some very average teams and some really good players on some great teams and yet he is the best player on the best teams that georgia has ever fielded and uh, when you're back-to-back national champions and you're still undefeated and, and well on your way into the that third campaign and you say what's this tie that binds and it's this uniquely gifted uh, tight end wide receiver blocking uh, extra lineman at times who's willing to do anything and everything that his team needs and asks and that's Brock Bowers and in even this past Saturday where um you know, he's coming back from injury. It's not always the, the focal point, but I guarantee that defense is well aware of where 19 is on the field. And even when they know where he's at, he's still able to come away with a touchdown. It just it, time and time again is a testament to the unique talent that, that he is and uh, has earned and will continue to earn the distinction of one of the very best, if not the very best, to come through Georgia. I want to stay on Bauer's side of the ball here for a moment because to kind of make this more about football here here just for a second, 
I think the one thing that Saturday can also show us with this Georgia offense, and they pile up the big numbers, right? It's like, you know, Kendall Milton kind of gives you the best game perhaps of his Georgia career on Saturday. Georgia's also throwing the ball all over the yard there as well. You know, 600-plus yards, 50-plus points. I really think the message that Georgia may have sent on Saturday, and I do believe it's kind of sort of, sort of, you know, it's the type of performance that sends a message. Here's the message that I think this perhaps, you know, sends is, of the team that we kind of think of as competing for the national championship, I believe that Georgia may be the best offensive team of the bunch. You know, Washington scored a bunch of points. Florida State's got really good wide receivers. You know, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, obviously Texas, a really sharp offensive mind. You know, Michigan, you know, you know, clearly capable of doing a lot of things. Saturday, they were mostly content to run the ball. But, but you know, when you look at the uh, crop of teams competing for the national championship, there are a lot of them that can be good on that side of the ball. But it's kind of a different identity for me for Georgia right now that it's been in the past. They're still complimentary. They still want to be very good on both sides of the ball. But the level of explosiveness that Georgia showed on the offensive side on Saturday, John, I believe right now that makes them just about unlike almost any other national championship contender here right now, that that actually may be Georgia's ticket to success this year if this season finishes the way we want it to. Yeah, and, and let's start with Kendall Milton. I think he needs uh, to get a little more pub because he just looks different right now. Uh, the way he's running, the way he's breaking tackles and his explosiveness through the holes, um, it is a huge boost. It also... Uh, while we're throwing out accolades, all those who were concerned about Mike Bobo yeah. during the, the first part of this season where we're going, you know, we're not blowing people out by 75 points. I'm disappointed. That's, the, all those uh, naysayers have, have been silenced because in these big games, which is exactly what we said, how are you going to truly evaluate Mike Bobo and the, the right. offensive staff That's right. is going to be in these big games? And you look at the the what they put together on Saturday, these past couple of Saturdays, and you go, these were big games, and they have embarrassed and dismantled some pretty talented defenses, especially against that Missouri team. And and it's it's because of that. It uh, let's continue on Carson Beck, where it's like, ah, well, yeah, I, I don't know about this guy. Is he just a manager? Is he he's missing these? open throws down the field, that's going to really cost us. And now you're saying this guy could be a, a first-round talent uh, come April in the NFL draft. So as we evaluate this team and you get a bigger body of work to uh, points of data to kind of analyze and these big games that have occurred against Missouri and now you know college game day comes to town and you embarrass an Ole Miss team uh, this offensive group is is showing how versatile they are, their resiliency when, when Bowers was not available, now that he's back, just how truly dangerous they can be. And I think once you, you continue to add these pieces back that have been struggling with injury, Amarius Mims being another one, um, it has allowed for the development of a number of players and you can see an identity that's being created from this offense that is second to none. I, you know, Washington, that's a dangerous, dangerous offense coming, coming out of the West. But overall, does that team scare you? I don't right. think so. I don't think there's a, a more complete picture than what Georgia has. Here's the other thing about Saturday on the offensive side of the ball. You know, you've got Amarius Mims, who I believe is like a future first round type talent perhaps you know he's back 
Bowers is back. Lad McConkey is now seemingly fully back. You really haven't had those three guys together at any point this year. You know, you've had you know, uh, you had all of Bowers, then you had none of Bowers, and that's when McConkey stepped up. And now, you know, Mims, who's been gone, now he's back. I mean, like, this was also a little glimpse of what, like, the fully operational version of the Georgia offense could perhaps look like. And, my gosh, Lad McConkey is just a playmaker. I mean, he he's just such a weapon to get behind defenses. And the idea that down the stretch – you might be able to kind of involve both Bowers and McConkey together to go along with everything else that George is doing, perhaps finding its running game with Kendall Milton at the exact right time to go along with the stuff that Dejon Edwards has already been able to provide. And that was the other thing about Saturday is, okay, so this is what this offense can look like as guys start to get fully healthy. And you kind of realize, wow, you know, Georgia's really played a lot this season without guys who are sort of bona fide playmakers. And this is, this is now maybe the new normal for the rest of the season moving forward. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it is it is provided opportunity because of Ladd not being available, because of Brock not being available, uh, really because of our running backs early on in the season, uh, still coming back from injury, uh, Dejon Edwards included, and, and obviously Kendall Milton. It has forced this offense, forced Mike Bobo and company to find different answers, and it's made them a better team. This offense is a better group because of it. Now, as you're going into the you know, final part of regular season and what's more important to Georgia than postseason play, um, you have a full your, your full complement. You get Brock, you got Ladd, who both those guys can take over games. Uh, you, you get guys healthy like Amarius back, and during his absence, you've been able to develop uh, multiple other players at other positions. Xavier Trust showed competence at, at the tackle position. Dylan Fairchild and Micah Morris get in and get more reps on the interior, and it's made you a better group. Uh, it, it's provided some opportunities, and, and candidly, some guys weren't able to, to step into that quite as well as, as you thought they might, uh, specifically out of that wide receiver room. Mm-hmm. But a healthy lad and Brock and, and full company – that's a very dangerous offense that has a number of weapons that, you know, defenses are going to have to kind of choose and pick their poison because there's just too many weapons on the field. Uh, it is our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with John Stinchcomb here on Dog Nation Daily. And, of course, uh, while John is our Dog Nation Insider, we all have a chance to be insiders at Marlowe's Tavern. And trust me when I tell you, that is the next best thing because you're going to get a chance to get great incentives just for signing up. When you go to Marlowe'sTavern.com or the Marlowe's Tavern app, just for signing up to be a part of the Marlowe's Tavern Insiders Club, which is probably free to join, you're going to get $10 off your $30 order at Marlowe's just for doing that then after that you earn what are called qualified visits that means you go to a marlowe's tavern you spend at least 15 dollars on food or beverage and as you earn these qualified visits once you get four of those qualified visits you're signed up to receive a complimentary complimentary entree reward up to 20 dollars on your next visit to the marlowe's tavern perhaps the one right here in your neighborhood you also get uh great special offers on your birthday there as well just a lot of really good stuff going on when you become a member of the marlowe's tavern insider club so please go to marlowe's tavern.com to find out more about this that's m-a-r-l-o-w-s marlowe's tavern.com to find out more about that 
today. So, John, in the time we have left, I want to do something that Kirby Smart was not really willing to do on Saturday. Now, Smart was in a very contemplative mood. He was, you know, willing to talk about his emotions and things like that. But the one thing that Smart was not willing to reflect on too much was winning the SEC East again for what is now for a what, third straight year for Georgia, but obviously kind of become a little bit of a regularity for this program. And for me, it's a big deal because it is the last time that Georgia will get to, as we say around here, own the East. Divisional plays obviously coming to an end here after this season so you know smart's more focused on tennessee more focused on georgia tech and i do have to admit i think that tennessee game is going to probably be a little tougher than some georgia fans perhaps realize on saturday i might be a little bit of a wet blanket about that here this week but kind of pushing that aside for a moment john what does it mean to you as someone who was a part of the first georgia football team to ever win the sec east that georgia became the last team to ever win the sec east here in 2023 and kind of now making that just an expectation for the program yeah, and it's just how much the the bar has been raised uh, with Coach Smart and his staff. The expectation has become national championships, and we all know, those of us who've been a part of the program uh, for years, that owning the East has not always been the easiest to accomplish. Right. And, and just to have that as a goal is was a lofty one. And, you know, with the likes of a, a very capable Tennessee and Florida, um, there were a number of years where it wasn't a foregone conclusion that Georgia would have a, a legitimate charge at, at that opportunity. And now it's an expectation. And uh, I think it's a, a testament to where the program has been developed and, and what Coach Smart has been able to make realistic. Um for the, this entire fan base, but yeah, it, it's one of those things where you just can't uh, overlook the fact that this is a that's a big deal. And once again, you know, for the last time, as as the paradigm changes, to be able to to represent the East, that is quite an accomplishment. And uh, you know, it's it fits a much bigger picture that Coach Smart and his staff has been able to create for the rest of us. But um, it's it's something to be proud of, and it I think again it's just a testament to how far this program has come. Here's the other thing too, and I'll say this quickly. Um, I think this year's SEC championship game sets up to be a huge one. You know, the last couple of years, you you saw a situation where. I think that Georgia could have rightly felt like its ticket to the college ball playoff was already punched before it got to the SEC championship game. I don't believe that can be said this year. It's just one of those years in which the team's kind of ranked in that sort of top eight, you know, kind of where Georgia and Bama currently are. They're not losing. You know, Texas has lost once. Florida State hasn't lost at all. Oregon's only lost once. Washington's still undefeated. Michigan, Ohio State, both still undefeated. That you've just got a situation right now where the team's kind of ranked around Georgia in that sort of top eight right now. They're all winning their games. And as long as you've got power five unbeaten conference champions, you're looking at playoff spots that are likely to be occupied by non-SEC teams and non-conference runner-up teams. We've seen a conference runner-up make the playoff now two years in a row, Big Ten last year, SEC the year before. But that can't be rightly expected, at least right now. Maybe that changes the next few weeks. But as of right now, it looks like these two behemoths, Georgia and Alabama, may be playing for only one playoff spot. And certainly there's going to be a lot of love now given to Alabama for the fact they seemingly have sort of figured some things out here. I get the impression we're going to be playing in one of the most hyped up SEC championship games in quite some time when Georgia takes on Alabama coming up here in just a, a few weeks. 
Yeah, and, and they're talented, and, and they're getting hot at right at the right time. They're a very dangerous team. You know, if we're going to look at the national landscape, I don't know if there is a more dangerous team right now than this Alabama group. They're playing with confidence. Jalen Milrose looking every bit uh, as dangerous as what they uh, were hoping for at the beginning of the season coming out of Tuscaloosa. Uh, it seems like they've answered a lot of their questions on that defensive side of the ball. That you know, the, the, uh, the era of Nick Saban has, you know, he's jumped the shark. Those conversations have long since ceased. Um, and you know, I remember Paul Feinbaum saying, you know, that this dynasty is is over, and now they look like one of the most dangerous teams in the country. So that seems to be. Uh, uh, the Alabama way where they find a way to continue to be a part of the conversation. And that SEC championship game is going to be a major, uh, have a major impact on, on who gets to represent uh, themselves and their conferences in the PFP. Because if there remains other teams that are undefeated, it's going to be really hard to justify um, on the, in that committee for, two teams to come out of the SEC. And so it seems to be a, that, that game that the entire country is going to have circled because it very easily could be the, uh, the equivalent of the national championship game because you're looking at two of the best teams in the country. John, great stuff. Thank you so much for being here as part of a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. Really, really appreciate that. I hope you have a great week, and we'll look forward to speaking to you soon right back here on uh, Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update on Dog Nation Daily. Enjoyed it, B.A. Go dog. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So here's the one thing I'm going to promise you. While I do believe that Georgia-Alabama and the SEC Championship is going to be a massive game and you know perhaps the biggest SEC Championship game that Georgia's played in at any point in time uh, here thus far in the Kirby Smart era, we are not going to overdo it on that until these next two weeks are done. For a couple of reasons. A, because of Dog Nation Invasion on Saturday. We're legitimately excited about that. But also, I'm going to get more into this throughout the week. And I don't want to be a wet blanket about this. But I do believe that college football has a way of zigging when you expect it to zag. And this may be one of those examples where Georgia's riding high. Tennessee's lower than they've been. Seemingly, they've got nothing to play for. But I do believe that game is going to matter to Tennessee on Saturday. I do believe their fans are going to see some opportunity to salvage something from this season snapping georgia's winning streak i do believe you probably have a more intense vibe around neyland stadium on saturday than perhaps some realize and listen when when it comes like the sort of traditional rivals for georgia obviously we believe a good georgia fan is a gator hater first and foremost we believe georgia's other traditional rival is auburn although the sec may be about ready to mess this up and in the yearly game between these two teams nonetheless that remains georgia's traditional sec rival along with uh florida tennessee's probably not quite the same level but here's what i'll tell you while fewer people consider tennessee to be a main rival of georgia here's what i know for those of you that live way up north georgia or perhaps many of you who kind of have ties to the state of tennessee i have talked to enough of you to know this for those of you that hate tennessee you hate tennessee (laughs) This is the one thing I've discovered. For people who sort of have a certain kind of, you know, uh, feeling about the Georgia-Tennessee rivalry, 
the level of intensity that you feel is off the charts. We're going to show respect to you all this week. Uh, for the people up there, kind of the north part of our state, uh, who have a big feeling about this game, obviously we're going to treat it as a very big deal. Plus, it's Dog Nation Invasion, and you don't want the Dog Nation Invasion spoiled here. And plus, Georgia's just riding this winning streak right now. You want that to keep going as long as it possibly can. So we're going to make a very big deal about Tennessee this week. And we're going to be expecting the Tennessee fans to do the same thing. That's going to have a big game vibe on Saturday, despite the fact the division's clinched. This is about Georgia making a run, go for three and twenty-three, and hopefully another fifteen and zero season, and you know trying to win a what twenty-eighth straight game. Um, so we're not going to look too far ahead of the SEC championship. We believe Georgia Tennessee on Saturday is a very very big deal, and frankly, the season finale, the regular season finale against the in-state rival Georgia Tech, that will be top of mind for us too. So. Kirby does not want to look ahead and does not want to look past. We're going to respect his wishes on that because we believe that's the right thing to do. Keep taking care of business week after week after week. That's what this team deserves. And then when you get to first Saturday in December, you better be ready for one of the most hyped games that Georgia's played in because that's what Georgia-Alabama is going to believe, going to be. We believe that's the case, assuming that Alabama keeps winning the way that it is right now. More on that in a moment. Prior to that, though, let's go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And obviously, speaking of hyping things up, you know I love to do that. When it comes to Royal Caribbean cruise vacations, I've gotten two on the docket for the upcoming year. January of 2024, I get a chance to be on Icon of the Seas, the debut of the largest cruise ship ever built. I am thrilled about that my wife and i were talking about a little bit that yesterday we're excited about that and then in april of 2024 we're all excited about the dog nation cruise there too and i love that because so many of you get a chance to experience what i just love which is a chance to be on a royal caribbean cruise ship and enjoying that royal caribbean cruise vacation and getting a chance to do that with all of you for me makes it even better so i want you to check out jessica slater great travel agent she can help you with all your royal caribbean cruise vacation needs give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 you can also email jessica jslater at dreamvacations.com that's jslater at dreamvacations.com she can get you booked up icon of the seas be a part of the very first ever sail on that brand new cruise ship uh, dog nation cruise on lure of the seas bigger and better than it's ever been before we want you on board to help experience that with us all kinds of fun things going on. Jessica can tell you all about it. All right. What's not quite so fun, at least for certain SEC coaches, is we've kind of moved into the sort of bloodletting portion of the season. And we did predict this. A lot of our predictions don't turn out to be true, but this is one that is definitely going to end up being true. We said we thought this could be a very, very tough offseason in terms of coaches being fired. And it's already starting before the season comes to an end. We came in ready to talk about Jimbo Fisher, which we'll get to in a moment, but uh, as we're getting ready to start the show today, also the hammer drops on Zach Arnett at Mississippi State. Now, the scenario here is is that obviously last year Mike Leach passed away unexpectedly, incredibly sad. Uh, and it, you know, from a football standpoint, you have to try to put the pieces back together as quickly as you possibly can. Zach Arnett had been a very successful defensive coordinator with Mike Leach there in Starkville. He was given a chance to be a head coach and. If you want to give him any chance of succeeding, you have to make him look like a real coach. So you give him the multi-year deal and Arnett's going to get his shot to make this program work. And it's very interesting. Zach made a very interesting calculated risk, I guess, where he completely went away from the Mike Leach offense. You know, Arnett's a very sort of tough minded coach, very good defensive coach perhaps not loving the Mike Leach offense. That's not meant to disrespect, you know, Leach's memory, but just obvious that that Arnett wanted to do something different offensively. And they go almost the complete other different direction. Our buddy uh, Ryland Goady 
uh, went there as a tight end prior to to uh, Arnett's hiring as head coach. They didn't have tight ends on that roster at all. That gives you an idea of how they were kind of changing things up. It's a big change undergoing one year, and it's not been a successful year. They did win an SEC game, so you give them some credit for that. But ultimately, you know, they got blown out by Texas A&M on Saturday. Uh, they lost badly to Kentucky the week before that. While Arnett did have a multi-year deal in place, it was sort of one of those things that was kind of like sort of, you know, sort of in name only it's actually a pretty cheap buyout to get out from underneath for all intents and purposes sort of functioned like an interim deal even if it had the appearance of being the sort of multi-year type thing that head coaches are supposed to have so it's actually my understanding is not too expensive for Mississippi State to sort of move off of Zach Arnett and he was always going to be in a tough situation Mississippi State was always going to be better served by having a more traditional coaching search which now they get a chance to have this is maybe the way this was always destined to be unless something amazing happened and clearly based on the results of the last couple of weeks something amazing is not happening so they make the decision to move off of Zach Arnett like the one thing and this is totally be making this up this is not news this is not reporting this is just me sort of wondering like wouldn't this feel like a good spot for Dan Mullen to go back to I mean, if Mullen wants to coach again, and maybe he just doesn't. Maybe he likes being on TV. Some people seem to think he does a good job there. Um, you know, I know he's relaxed and kind of living at Lake Oconee. Uh, I think his family's pretty plugged in over in that area too, a local school and things like that. You know, maybe this is all Mullen wants to do. But if he wants to coach again, going back to a place he has been successful where you don't have the same like recruiting expectations you perhaps have at Florida, which by the way is having a bunch of uh, uh, decommitments here as of late. That's probably worth paying attention to anyway uh uh you know don't you if if mullen's gonna coach again doesn't this feel like a pretty good spot for him to coach again i I wonder if we hear about that at all either way mississippi state's about to go through a coaching search here uh parting ways with zach arnett now the team that beat mississippi state on saturday was texas a&m but as you know yesterday the big news around college football was the fact that a&m does officially fire jimbo fisher and listen We've obviously talked a lot about this on the show because at one point in time, I thought Fisher was probably set up to win big at A&M, being a kind of a proven commodity as a national championship coach. It just clearly has not worked out. And this was the right move for A&M to make. Let's go back in time here a little bit. So when Jimbo was hired, Scott Woodward was the Texas A&M athletic director. This is Woodward's MO. He spends big on proven coaches. He did that now at his current job at LSU, bringing in Brian Kelly. He did that at his old job, Texas A&M when it comes to Jimbo Fisher you take a big risk on a big expensive coach across all sports by the way that's Woodward's MO and that's what they try to do with Jimbo Fisher now when you ask the question of well how come this guy won a national championship at Florida State and had kind of a historic recruiting class in 2022 at Texas A&M and still could not win anything with the exception of a handful of wins in a pandemic year in a year when obviously a lot of strange things were happening around college football that haven't had much staying power since then Um, how come he failed so badly and the only I think good answer I have to that question because here's the one thing I don't believe and I could talk for hours about this because I do love coaching rumors and coaching search season and I just love all this stuff um here's the one thing I don't believe and I'm not an A&M fan but I'm going to stick up for A&M here for a moment this is a program that's never won anything and I think there are a lot of people who probably don't quite realize this they've never won anything Obviously, they never won anything in the SEC. They never even made the SEC championship game. I don't think they ever won. Well, they never won the Big 12, right? Uh, they didn't really win the the, the Southwest Conference before that. Uh, haven't won a national championship in like 100 years, something crazy like that. Like This is a program that, for the most part, 
R.C. Slocum, uh, uh, Jackie Sherrill, you know, uh, uh, they just never won anything. They just never won anything. And some people are going to say, well, there's something in the water there that makes winning impossible. I don't believe that's the case. I believe that's probably just a string of bad luck. But in the case of the Jimbo Fisher in particular, like, why is it that Jimbo didn't win? The best answer I can give you is this is that the thing that sort of made Jimbo Jimbo before coming to Texas A&M, the thing that I would have touted about him as a top-flight coach was the string of success that he had with quarterbacks, obviously most famously Jameis Winston, which ultimately was really the only quarterback he ever really won anything of note with. But then prior to that, even going back to his time as an offensive coordinator at Florida State when Bobby was still employed um, at LSU prior to that, Jimbo Fisher had tutored a lot of quarterbacks who went on to B, first-round picks. Now, most of these were not very good NFL quarterbacks, and it's sort of funny to run through the list, the Christian Ponders and the E.J. Manuels and the, the Jamarcus Russells. Like, I realize that's kind of a funny list of quarterbacks who, for the most part, were failures at the professional level, but a coach's job and the college ranks is to get a guy to the first round, and he did a lot of that. In the case of Jameis Winston, he had a truly special player. Unfortunately, though, Winston is really the only guy he's ever been able to win with. When you think about Winston being kind of a Heisman-level player, you know, perhaps this was just sort of lightning the bottle when you had that kind of generational talent at college quarterback, not a great pro either. Jameis hasn't been, but was certainly a generational-type talent at the college level. When you had that, okay, you could make a college football playoff. You could win a national championship, what they did in 2013, and then again in 2014 making the playoff. You could do that, but he hasn't been able to replicate since then. The 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 – Jimbo offense just too antiquated probably moving a little too slow a little too complicated perhaps and that ultimately seems to be the thing that's really kind of hamstrung him in terms of having any real success at Texas A&M I'll give you two other quick thoughts on this then we're going to move on in terms of you know coaches you're going to hear about the obvious name feels like Mike Elko right Elko the current Duke coach who's been really successful in two years on the job there the former Texas A&M defensive coordinator you could very easily make that hire bring back a guy who's proven himself to be a good head coach who also has a lot of familiarity with the Texas A&M situation because he was a good defensive coordinator there you could do that if you swing for the fences the swing for the fences name right now is Dan Lanning and I think that Lanning is going to be a very interesting guy here moving forward because any job that comes open, Lanning's going to be the best candidate for that job. He's just simply put the best young coach in college football right now. And I don't really count Kirby in the young category anymore. He's been on the job long enough now. The next hot thing is Dan Lanning. He's not just winning games at Oregon. They're killing it recruiting right now. Uh, Lanning is really looking like a rising star who's essentially arrived as a top flight coach. This is a very, very hot coaching prospect right now. And Lanning's going to get a chance to sort of chart his own path here. And I don't know the answer to this. Like, what does Lanning see right now as a better chance for him to win? Oregon in the new Big Ten or Texas A&M, let's just make that comparison, in the new SEC? I'm not sure. Like, you would say, well, do you want to go to Texas A&M given the fact that no one's ever won there? Perhaps a fair question. Do you want to stay in the Big Ten knowing that geographically you're going to be at a huge disadvantage? And that is just real, y'all. you got four teams way out west competing in a league whose geographic center is like right in the middle of the country. That's a little bit of a tricky thing. Um, and plus, it's not like while Oregon's seemingly national relevant because of the uniforms and stuff like that, it's not like they've actually won a ton there either. If I'm landing, I think I would probably rather be in the SEC 
But when you look at the success they're having in recruiting right now and compared to the rest of the Big Ten, like how many teams in the new Big Ten are going to recruit better than Oregon's currently recruiting right now? Perhaps not very many. Maybe the likes of only like the Michigan, Ohio State. I mean, you know, I mean, Lanning has a chance to make Oregon the third best program in the Big Ten from the word go. Hard not to notice that if you're currently employed there, given the fact that's not the stature Texas A&M currently has within the new SEC. So if I'm landing, I think the A&M job or something like that would perhaps be better than Oregon. But there is admittedly a lot to sell about Oregon right now, given the success that he's currently having. I believe that Oregon uh, will likely be in this year's college football playoff. So, you know, that may be a lot to walk away from if that turns out to be true. The final thought for me on this, because I know we're kind of going a little bit long here, is if you're a Georgia fan, this kind of stuff is more relevant for you than it perhaps would have been if this would happen last year, the year before, something like that. Like, it's very easy to look at Texas A&M and say, oh, that's way out west. That doesn't impact me at all. What if a guy like Dan Lanning were to go become coach there? Well, that clearly impacts you because that's a name that you know, uh, and you would obviously recognize that as one of the rising stars in the SEC, being a guy that was on staff here. But beyond that, there's this. As we've talked about now plenty of times, there are no more divisions. Divisions are going away. So moving forward, Georgia's competing with Texas A&M as much as it's competing with Tennessee, right? I mean, you know, the geographic stuff doesn't mean anything anymore. And so A&M getting better, if it's going to with a new coach, that's going to make the SEC a little bit harder, which is just as relevant for Georgia as it would be for Alabama. See, in the past, we would have said, oh, this is an Alabama issue, an LSU issue. This is a team they compete with in the SEC West. But now this is a team that everybody competes with in the SEC there at large. And a&M does have resources that it wants to devote to recruiting A&M does want to win the willingness to pay the huge buyout what upwards of 70 million dollars lets you know they don't want to go quietly here right now they want to be competitive here right now and this is relevant for Georgia because in the new world of the SEC championship starting next year you're competing alongside A&M as much as any other team in this league in terms of who gets to Atlanta for the SEC championship and who perhaps has an inside track on one of the 12 playoff spots up for grabs starting next year i'll very quickly give you a, a couple more things here so lsu beats florida on saturday another bad loss for billy napier i didn't expect them to win but it just as these losses pile it becomes an issue for napier to deal with especially going back to his home state of louisiana this is a big deal for napier back there because you know he'd been the coach at louisiana lafayette lsu clearly wanted no part of napier as its head coach they look pretty smart in that regard right now because napier hasn't done much in two years as Florida coach hard not to deny that but it's actually the other side of this game I want to briefly mention just for a moment in most years the Heisman Trophy winner is sort of best player on best team type scenario right it's very often a quarterback I would love for that to end up being true for Carson Beck this year obviously we would root for Carson getting a chance to do that but in a year so far where no one has really kind of taken a hold of the Heisman stuff right I mean um Michael Penix, for instance, at one point in time, the, the favorite for the award has actually kind of regressed a little bit the last couple of weeks. I'm honestly not sure how he played on Saturday, but I, I know Washington won. But, you know, Penix has actually kind of come back down to earth a little bit the last few weeks. J.J. McCarthy was getting a lot of hype. Michigan ran the ball 32 straight times to close the game out against Penn State on Saturday. You kind of wonder if there's too much, you know, sort of negative buzz around Michigan for a guy like McCarthy, perhaps the sort of traditional best quarterback on best team type thing to win the award maybe we'll see Carson Beck benefit from that but if it's wide open for somebody else to win 
I think you've got to really strongly consider Jaden Daniels as the Heisman Trophy winner right now. I think you've really got, at the very least, make a strong push to get Daniels into New York as a Heisman finalist and not actually win the award. Obviously, LSU's lost three times. You know, that's not typically the resume for a Heisman quarterback. But a few years ago, Lamar Jackson won the award playing on less than a great team. In a year in which no one's really kind of taken hold of the Heisman conversation, what Daniels did on Saturday with his arm and his legs, the the stat line was just eye-popping. You know, I think, and this is not what I thought would happen. I thought that Daniels would likely be replaced as LSU quarterback this year. I thought Garrett Nussmeyer was probably the best quarterback on that roster. Daniels, though, has found an amazing gear um, that I frankly didn't know that he had. And I think it ought to be rewarded that if there was ever a year for sort of a somewhat non-traditional, you know, great player on a kind of only above average team, Daniels may just really be that guy. And so I'd kind of tout him for the award right now. Not at the expense of Carson Beck, of course. I'd love to see Beck get in there. But um, I think that Daniels deserves a strong consideration on what is a pretty, you know, average LSU team. Uh, Jaden Daniels has proven himself to be a very special player. And if you missed Saturday's game between LSU and Florida, that's the real takeaway. Jaden Daniels is just amazing. He's just he's having an amazing, amazing year. Finally, I'll give you this very quickly. So I think a lot of our space moving forward is going to be devoted to these teams that are competing alongside Georgia with the national championship. What are they doing to sort of keep pace? What you're seeing right now is a continuation of the teams that are kind of in the mix for the Pac-12, the Big 12, the ACC alongside, you know, uh, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, they're just not losing. They're just not losing. That the, These teams are winning for now. Now, for a handful of them, it was closer than it was supposed to be. For Washington, closer than it was supposed to be against Utah on Saturday. For Oregon, slightly closer than it was supposed to be against USC. Texas, a little closer than it was supposed to be against TCU. Florida State, a little closer than it was supposed to be against Miami. But the headline is, while those games may have been closer than experts anticipated, all those teams are continuing to win. Alabama seems to be distancing itself here right now. Bunch of hype coming Alabama's way. Gets on my nerves too. Probably gets on your nerves there as well. But that's one of those things that's sort of out there here right now is that um, the teams kind of around that sort of top eight number from where, you know, Georgia is at two with Ohio State at one down to where Bama is at eight. All those teams for right now are continuing to win. Penn State, total fraud. Ole Miss, total fraud. They're eliminated from the discussion. But from eight and above, it's not always pretty and it's not always easy, but everybody continues to win there. So very, very crowded race for the college football playoff here right now. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And before we wrap up here today, let me say one more time how thankful I am to our friends at Dr. Pepper who brought the College Football Playoff National Championship Trophy to our studio on Friday. We started the show with that championship trophy that hope we see Georgia win here this year. We started this show off with that trophy sitting like right here behind me as a message for what Go for Three and 23 is all about. What an amazing thing that was. And I would not have been able to have that if not for our friends at Dr. Pepper. So truly thankful to them. Also, I wish I could show you this. Um, there's an entire like stack of Dr. Pepper they also brought here there as well. So I've got all the Dr. Pepper that I can consume for the next little bit right here in my studio with me because they brought a whole bunch of product on uh, Friday, which I was very happy there as well. Uh, so my message to you is Dr. Pepper truly is the one fans deserve. Uh, as we're moving into that time of year in which all the big games are taking place. Don't forget, Dr. Pepper is a big part of all the big games 
and it needs to be a part of your game day there as well. So check out some local Dr. Pepper, uh, local Dr. Pepper. Check out some Dr. Pepper wherever you're doing your shopping here locally, perhaps at your local Kroger, wherever else. Check out some Dr. Pepper here today because Dr. Pepper is the one fans deserve. All right, long show for us. You sort of thought it would probably would be. Let's roll through some golden shoes here, though, as we get ready to wrap things up here today. We got some great submissions we'll have. And by the way, the laptop's working fine again. All the stuff is full systems go. So I know I shortchanged some of y'all on golden shoes, but we'll, we'll get them all out here this week. Mike Cloud sent this in. Hashtag go for three and 23. Speaking of the Big Ten and some uh, pretenders being exposed there. He says, first is Ryan Day whining about Lou Holtz. Then it's uh, the assistant coach from Michigan crying after the uh, win against uh, Penn State on Saturday. I don't know if y'all saw that. It was a bizarre behavior. He says, I've never seen Kirby or Nick Saban do anything remotely close to that. Mike, you're right about that. Kind of embarrassing behavior from some of these Big Ten coaches. Uh, uh, Shrum Moore, the, uh, the the Michigan coach as well. Just very, very strange stuff. So, Mike, we'll give you a golden shoe for that, including using the hashtag go for 3 and 23 You love to see that. How about our next one, please? Uh, Josh uh, Zotnick wrote in, I had my Own the East t-shirt on Saturday at the game, and uh, Josh wrote back to me saying, B.A., that shirt's going to have to be retired to the Smithsonian. Uh, it is a part of history now in the last year that anyone's ever going to be able to own the East. He gives you a hashtag own the East. Boy, I'm going to miss that uh, hashtag being used. But, Josh, I appreciate that. We will give you a well-deserved golden shoe for your contribution there. Certainly appreciate that. Wonderful scene there on Saturday with the own the East T-shirt. Of course, Missouri's win against Tennessee made that possible for UGA. How about another golden shoe winner going out to our buddy Ryan Walker, who took his own uh, turn to make a little graphic here for the 2023 SEC East champs. Ryan's always great about stuff like that. He says the final chapter in division play. Ryan, really well done as always. 10-0, three-time, three straight SEC East champs. Final chapter in division play. On to the mustard bottle throwers. Go for three and 23. Go dog. Sick them. Uh, Ryan Walker, you're always so talented. Another example of that. And then I believe we have one more for you today. How about this from Thad Stokes? You see a wonderful picture of, uh, he says, my son Easton essentially wearing a superhero costume to bed on his bulldog blanket after the 52-17 beatdown of Ole Miss. Hashtag go for three and 23. Hashtag golden shoe. Hashtag go dogs. You love to see that. Uh, young fellow there wearing the Brock Bowers jersey to sleep in. The nice, cozy George Bulldogs blanket. Uh, looks just like my son sleeping because he sleeps in very, very similar attire and very, very similar confines. So, uh, Thad, that is awesome to see and a wonderful way to wrap up today's show. Well-deserved golden shoes going out to the entire Stokes family there on all of that. Really a special day in Athens. A lot of young fans will be remembering it for a long time to come. I tell you who has no such memories. It is those lousy, stinking gators. Uh, decommitments galore, all kinds of a mess. 1,101 days since they've beaten uh, Georgia. And by the way, speaking of pandemic weirdness, the only time they did was in this very strange year of the uh, pandemic of 2020. But it's been all dogs since then, 1,101 days worth. That is our Gator Hater Updater. We'll see all of you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia.